0: Good morning, West community. How are you doing this morning? All right, we got a special treat for you today. We have our first strategic thinking contest. I am your host, Slap Payback, and with us today are four contestants who are going to be the most strategic thinkers, okay? This contest, if you will, is one in which these four contestants rose to the ranks in regional Mooresville schools, challenging the brightest third graders, Okay, with us today, without further ado, let me introduce our four contestants. Number one, coming from the lakeside area, we have the lavish, the lucky, the lively, Lance Livermore Armstrong. Next, coming from the west region, we have the amazing... The antagonistic, Andrea Smashmouth Smith. Third, the majestic, the mysterious, the magnetism of Matthew. Victory is mine, Verloom. And last our final contestant coming from the East Region, we have the sassy, the silly, Susie. What the heck? Okay, this first round is a Rubik's Cube round, a Crack the Cube round, if you will. And what we see before us are Rubik's Cubes in which the individuals must solve, the first individual. Solving the cube is credited as the most strategic Thinker. Y'all know the rules. You have to finish the cube in a specific time. Without further ado, on your mark. On your mark. Gets it. Go! Okay, we got something going on. Some foam coming out of the Box there's some fumes, not sure what it is. Oh, up! Oh, we have a throw off. Oh, oh! You are disqualified, there, young man. Out of there, Mr. Lovable. We have heavy fumes. People almost coughing up here. Lots of paint going on. Hammers, screwdrivers. Not quite what. Sure, what's going on? Oh, and you are disqualified, Andrea. Painting. Unallowable. As we move through, we have the... Oh. Hammer and... Screwdriver. I'm not sure that falls within the... Matthew is coming through at the end. Close. And with that, we have a winner... Matthew, victory is mine, Verlone. Thank you all for joining us.
1: And now Hosmer tears a page out of Mike Moustaka's book, and he bunts for a base hit. It's not the same offensive lineup from last year. Good pitch to bunt. It was elevated. Hosmer was really perfect. He gave himself up because there's no one going to throw him out.
0: Wrong cause my mind is I look,
2: there's a so will you clap if you're a baseball fan? When the coach picks and the owners pick the team and put the team together, do you think they just randomly assign people to certain places on the team or actually do you think it's because of their individual strengths? Probably, if you are a fan of baseball or have even an inkling about baseball, you know that depending on what their strengths are and how they play depends on what position they play on the field. Somebody with a great throwing arm, they're the pitcher. And the, the not the captain, the catcher, that's somebody that knows all of the information about a lot of stuff, and really, that's all I've got on baseball, and I don't know why I, like, keep talking. I need to just stop, because, like, I knew the first part, then be quiet, Andrea. I do want you to know that perhaps this has the potential to be the best sermon you've ever heard from me if you were sitting in the first half of the auditorium because of the fumes from the spray paint. So I am hopeful that uh, by the time that this is over, you'll be like, wow, that was really good. Uh, But the bottom line is there are people on baseball teams, and they all have different strengths they use their different strengths to play the game. Well, we are doing this thing called life. You and I, we each have this life that we have been gifted to live every day is a new opportunity. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wake up in the mornings and I'm like, "Oh." And then lately, you know, it's like my back hurts, I'm tired, I'm getting old. And then I realize, you know what? Each day is a gift. Each day is a gift to claim our strengths. Each day is a gift to be in touch with God. So perhaps what if I started the day being with God in in prayer instead of just thinking I need to go it on my own. Are you like me? Do you ever try to do life on your own instead of connecting with God? That's what we're going to look at today. Like, how do we do that? How do we live life to the fullest? How do we make our lives matter? And how do we use our strengths? Like I said, there's 34 different strengths. They fall into four different domains. We've talked about a few of them. We've talked about the the executing strengths. Those are people that, that do things. You get ideas or uh, things from other people, and then you make them happen. People with strengths in the execution domain, they are the doers. And then there's another domain called influencing. Those are the people that are great communicators and and they are great at wooing other people. Woo is actually a strength. They, They see the good in people and they love them. And then they influence them so that whatever their assessment is of a situation or a relationship actually comes across to the other people. Today is strategic thinking. That's the third domain. And the next week, the fourth and the final domain that we're going to look at is relationship building. The four different domains are all very different, but we each have each of the 34 strengths. They're just in a different order and your top five, that's what Clifton Strengths Finder focuses on. So if you have not taken the Strengths Finder, I invite you to go to headingwest.org and it's a tab on our, on our website and see what your top five strengths are. I think it takes about 20 minutes to take the test and it costs around $20. But it's been interesting over the past several weeks. Many of you have shared with me your strengths and you're like, yeah, this is spot on. This is who I am. So I do invite you to take this, the staff and I did this several years ago, and we did it again, not not too recently, or not too long ago, and we all looked at our strengths. And you know what is so interesting? We took all of the staff, even even the part-time staff, and we plotted us on a chart in the four different domains. Remember, executing, influencing, relationship building, and strategic thinking. Now, what is going to shock you this morning is I'm going to tell you where my strengths lie and you're going to go there's no way if you know me personally But perhaps I live out my strategic thinking strengths in in a much different way But that's where the majority of my strengths lie in this particular domain So you can disagree with that in just a minute as we walk through them, but I had uh, two in the influencing domain and one In the execution domain, I had none in relationship building. Now, that was quite different than what I thought, maybe 10 to 15 years ago when I was at a different place in ministry, and without the experience that I've gotten launching a church, my strengths would have been different, but they all fall, the majority fall, in strategic thinking. I was shocked because I don't see myself as a strategic thinker. But when you look at the the different strengths in this area, actually, the more I looked at them, the more it made sense. So this morning, in just a few minutes, we're gonna walk through those, and I would like for you to think about where you fall in some of those And then I would like for us to talk about where Jesus fell in the strategic thinking and and what is our calling? What do we do with all this information? The first thing I wanna do is show you two examples of strategic thinking in picture form. I want you to take a look at the screen. You see Berea Baptist, which is right down the road. And then you see traffic on 150. Now, Clap if you think there was a lot of strategic thinking that went into the design of 150 and Brawley School Road when they planned the growth of this area. Will you clap? That's what I figured. You know, a couple of years ago, I was doing a wedding for someone and they worked for the state and they were an engineer in the Department of Transportation. And they were talking to me about the road widening project on Brawley School Road. And, you know, years ago when I was at Williamson's Chapel, we said we couldn't help but grow because you have this one church that sits at this massive intersection and everybody is driving by it and sitting by it for prolonged periods of time. And so we started putting banners out and sure enough, you know, people started coming because they were reading what was going on because they sat in the traffic. Here's another great example that we probably don't think is an example of strategic thinking, but I do believe that somewhere, somebody did put some thinking behind it. This is I-77, another traffic nightmare in our area. Now, we may not see the strategic thinking that goes into this, but somebody somewhere, sometime, has done some around these projects. That's one of the things I think we have a tendency to do. We we look at situations and we analyze them, you know, from our perspective. And we think, well, they didn't do this, this, or this. When truthfully, probably, we don't know the whole story. That's what was happening with the disciples after Jesus died. After Jesus died on the cross, he resurrected. Now, if you know the Easter story, you know that the women were trying to keep up with the rituals of purifying the body after he was taken down from the cross. So the women, there's different accounts and different gospels, but the one that I'm going to talk about this morning is the women. They went to the tomb. They were consumed with their grief. And so they show up and they notice that he isn't there. They wanted Jesus to be there so that they could memorialize him, so they could pay tribute, so they could connect with him. But he was not a Messiah that stayed. He was a Savior and a Messiah that was always on the move from the beginning of his ministry until the end. So I want us to think about that this morning as we look at strategic thinking. Because I believe that there was a plan in place when Jesus came to do his ministry here on earth. How did it start What's one of the first things that Jesus did when he was uh, out fulfilling his calling to be the son of God? He gathered people around him, practicing that relationship building strength, but he did one thing. The first thing he did was he said, follow me. I want you to follow me. And so that began three years Of ministry. That began three years of lives being changed, of people being healed, of the broken being loved, by the outcast being included. Jesus saying, Follow me, created a ministry that was on the move. So then, when the disciples and the women went to the tomb and they found that the tomb was empty and his body had been resurrected, that kept that theme, that kept that idea that Jesus gave them to start with. But I think a couple of thousand years later, we've missed it. I think we want a stationary God. I think we want a God that just we can put in a box and we can put it on a shelf and when we need it, we can go to it. But God's so much more than that. And that's what was revealed to us through Jesus. The passage that I want to share with you this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke. It is after they figure out that he isn't there anymore, that things are different now. And I want you to hear what happens as he interacts with the disciples. As they came near the village to where they were going, he, being Jesus, walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So Jesus went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. Now when he blessed and he broke the bread with them, their eyes were opened they don't mean literally there, they mean metaphorically. They figured it out. You know, they had spent years eating and partaking meals with him. So when they had that sacred moment with him, they figured it out. They're like, oh my gosh, it's you. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But then, hear what happens once their eyes were opened and he recognized them, he vanished from their sight. Today is Ascension Sunday in the life of the church. It is when we honor the the ascension of Jesus into the heavens. That's the part that comes after this passage. Jesus was a savior and a messiah that was always on the move. He was never stationary. And he called them to follow him. And that same call is there for us today. So strategic thinking. It's not a warm fuzzy strength. It's not... You know, something that we can, you know, tell sweet stories and then be like, oh, that's so nice. But what it can be is we can all use whatever level of strategic thinking that we have to figure out how we are going to follow him. Because if we don't, guess what? He disappears. He's sitting there. They have that warm, fuzzy moment. They connect with him. And then just when they figure out it's him, he disappears. And he's gone from their sight. Can you imagine their grief in that moment again? It's like, man, we had you. You were back. We need you. We need a master. We need a teacher. We need a healer. We need someone to hold us all together when it feels like the world is falling apart. Isn't that what you and I need? I think so. This week, I had the opportunity to go to Chicago with the LEAD Academy, and what it is, it's, a, it's about 25 to 28 pastors and uh, They must have been desperate when they chose me to be in the group But we go and we listen to these other huge church pastors And listen to the skills that they have And the talents that they have And how they use them to to broaden the kingdom of God It really is one of the coolest opportunities to be in this program Remember when I started this message series If you were here and if you aren't here on Sundays I do invite you to follow along online We post the messages Um, Sometimes they build on each other But when we started this series I confess to you that, you know, sometimes I feel really inadequate and I feel like I don't measure up. I feel like I don't have the right skills and the right strengths to do what I need to do. And in that message, I talked about how we all sometimes feel like life is just, is just falling apart. And what do we do with that? And that we have a God that influences us, that influencing strength. And then we have the opportunity to influence others, that there is something bigger than we are. A love that is more powerful than anything we can comprehend that does hold it all together. I also said in that message that where God is, evil or Satan or however you want to phrase it, the devil, whatever... Where God is and where good is at work, then evil is at work too. Now the first Sunday in the series was the Sunday right after the back to school bash. Where you, a church of 400 to 500 people, work together with community partners and other churches to pull off this event that like feeds 5,000 people a lunch and supplies almost 2,000 kids with school supplies and tennis shoes and, and a fun festival day. It was a great day of worship. You could feel the energy in this place. And a few of you texted me after and said, why can't we have that energy and that spirit every Sunday? It was just so cool. It was a great day of worship. And, you know, sometimes on Sundays I go home and feel like I've killed the church. Other Sundays I go home and I'm like, yeah, it was a good day. That Sunday I was like, wow, it was a good day. And by Monday, oh my goodness, Holy cow, like that week, I should have never checked my email because it was like every day, it was this just, just bam. I was talking to a a friend of mine and they said, well, you did say that wherever God is at work and wherever good is at work, evil and and Satan undermines that. I said, I will never say that from the stage or uh, in a message again, holy cow. But it did. So flash forward for three weeks and this week I was in Chicago with my colleagues that I really admire. And one of the things that I love about us is we are blunt, honest with each other. And so I was having a conversation with one of my friends and, and they were like, you know, I really think here is your skill set and here are your strengths. And so they laid them out for me. And they said, and here, are, here is where they're not, and actually, where they weren't was like right here, right now. And they're like, you know, I really think, and if y'all think this, please don't like write me after the sermon, give me till Thursday to do so, okay? But I really think you're not the one to be the pastor of West. Now, that was like, that was like a knife in the gut to me. You know, we are United Methodist, if you didn't know that. Just newsflash, we are United Methodists. And there is this polity and structure that goes along with this. In the United Methodist Church, pastors move. Like in the, in the Baptist church, there's a call system and like pastors leave when they feel like they have fulfilled their calling there. And then the board of deacons, they prayerfully discern what next pastor needs to be called. It is a great system and works very well in that denomination, in the Methodist denomination. We have a bishop and we have a cabinet and you are appointed to be the pastor and you're appointed a year at a time. Well, you know, usually, unless you stink really bad, if you're in the process of planting a church, they don't, like, pull you in the middle of that because that would not go well. Well, the question is right now, okay, so at what point, because, I mean, you know, I am itinerant, we know that, and y'all will still know that when I am not your pastor, and, right, you'll still come to worship here because this is your church, not mine, right, Let's go on and agree with that right now, okay? Like, this is not about me. This is about you loving what we believe as a church. And I'm not planning on moving this year, so this is not groundwork for that. But, but say, yeah, you believe in that because that's, that's what we're here for. So, right, you believe in the itinerant system, right? Okay, you don't sound happy about that, which does make me happy, I guess, that you don't want me to move tomorrow. But the bottom line is, at some point, The bishop and the cabinet are gonna feel called by God and what I pray is that my calling and their calling align. And they'll move me to another church. God help that church now and we should all pray for that one when it happens. And you're gonna get another pastor. And I believe with all my heart and my soul that that next pastor will be great. There are so many amazing pastors. But I don't think the time's right now few years from now, sure. We're still, we're just now to where we have some systems and processes, so I think we need just a little while to let some grass grow under those, and then I I really will say, God, here, it's time, but not right now. So my friend sitting across from me saying, uh, I think you're hurting the church. It was like, you don't have skills that'll lead a church to get bigger, why would we move you to another church because you won't let you won't help them either you'll only hurt them <laughs> that's what it felt like i think i cried at one point i'm like do you know what you just said to me you just told me that i don't have a skill set to grow a church and they said well no you need to plant one i'm like no way no way I'm way too old, number one. Who wants to come here, a 50-year-old church planter woman? And they said, no. So it just kept going on and on and on. And I was like, I just need to stop. You know, in all that, like I couldn't sleep that night. Then I started having weird nightmares that like I moved to be a children's pastor at Scott's Home Church in Greensboro. They were all over the age of 80, and I'm not kidding, and there is nothing wrong with being 80, but there were no children in the church. So I had this job of going to this church where they were all over 80 and being the children's pastor. Now, the coolest part of the dream was they were going to pay me $212,000 to be their church children's pastor. I was like, yes, this is it. This is my dream. And I woke up and I was like, why did I just have that crazy dream? What's wrong with me? And then I figured it out. I doubted my strengths. The big picture of that story that I just told you is not about the moving and all that kind of stuff. It's not even about my strengths. It's about in all that, in the debate, in the conversation, in the back and forth dialogue, I never thought about God. I kept thinking about me and my strengths, and I've got my strengths finder. I know what they are, blah, blah, blah. They're strategic thinking. You would think they would align with, you know, building a church, blah, blah, blah. And I've got great critical thinkers around me. I'm smart enough to know where I stink. So I put people around me that are way smarter than I am on stuff like critical thinking, business administration, that kind of stuff. So I knew all the book stuff. What I did not rely on and shame on me is the heart stuff. I didn't go back to God and say, "Hey, where do you see me? And where do you need me?" So after I had the amazing dream that I was going to make $212,000 a year, I decided that perhaps it was time to pray about it. And and I'm not called. I really feel 100% sure I'm not called to lead another church plant. And my time here is not done. Someday it'll be the right time, but it isn't quite yet. And I had peace after all that. But it took me so many days to get there. That's what happens when we don't follow God. When we put God in a box and we want to just go get God when we want God and when it's convenient to get God when we need God. Again, I told you, I, sh- I should be ashamed that the first thing I did that night after that bad conversation should not have been text Amy Coles and say, Oh my gosh, am I killing West? If so, we need to have a conversation. It should have been to pray. I imagine that at some point, that's what the disciples reverted to after he disappeared. They probably had to work through their sadness, but then they probably figured out, Oh my gosh. He gave us all that we need to connect with him. Whether he is here in the flesh or not, we do have a God that has skin on God. And that is because a little piece of God lives in each one of us. And if we'll take the time to stop and look at each other and start looking for Christ... Instead of all the things that we don't like, I promise you, we will learn to see Jesus in each other. That's how he set this whole thing up. Jesus was the most brilliant strategic thinker of all time. And he set up this system so that it would be relational and influential. With key execution points and then strategic thinking. He set it up that way so that we would follow God by looking for God in one another and offering God to one another. I want you to take a look at the strategic thinking strengths that are on the screen. The first one is analytical. Your analytical theme challenges other people. Prove it, show me why what you're claiming is true. You don't want to destroy other people's ideas, but you do insist that their theories are sound. You see yourself as objective. You like data and want to understand how data and patterns affect one another. You peel back the layers until the root cause is revealed and others see you as rigorous and logical. Next. Context. You look back because that's where the answers lie. From your vantage point, the present... Is unstable, so you call upon an earlier time so that the present regains stability. Because you look back, you make better decisions because you understand the structure of the blueprint of the present. If in a new situation, you must allow yourself time to ask questions and allow the blueprints to emerge because if you don't have a blueprint, you won't have confidence in your decisions. Next. And this is like my number two strength. So this is how we get in the messes that we get in sometimes. Wouldn't it be great if... You're the kind of person who loves to peer over the horizon. The future fascinates you. You see in detail that the future, what the future might hold, and this picture pulls you forward. You're a dreamer who sees visions of what could be, and you cherish those visions. When the present proves too frustrating and the people around you are too pragmatic, you conjure up your visions of the future, and they energize you. Make the picture as vivid as possible. People want to launch onto the hope that you bring. Next, Audiation. You're fascinated by ideas. You're delighted when you discover beneath the complex surface of an elegantly simple concept to explain why things are the way that they are. An idea is a connection. Yours is the kind of mind that is always looking for connections. So you're intrigued when things that don't go together can be linked together. You love ideas because they're profound, novel, clarifying, contrary, and bizarre. You get energy when new ideas come to you. Others may label you as creative or original. Conceptual or even smart. Next. Input. You're inquisitive and collect things, both information and tangible objects. You collect things because it interests you. You find the world exciting precisely because of its infinite variety and complexity. You aren't comfortable throwing anything away, so you keep acquiring and compiling and filing stuff away. It keeps your mind fresh. Next. You like to think And you enjoy mental activity with intellection. You like exercising the muscles of your brain. You are the kind of person who enjoys your time alone because it is your time for musing and reflection. You're introspective. You pose yourself questions and then try out the answers to see how they sound. Introspection may lead you to a slight sense of discontent as you compare what you're actually doing with all the thoughts and ideas your mind conceives. Wherever it leads, the mental hum is a constant of your life. Learner, you love to learn. The subject matter that you like to learn is influenced by your other strengths, but whatever the subject, you will always be drawn into the process of learning. The process is what is exciting for you. You're energized by the steady and deliberate journey from ignorance to competence. It enables you to thrive in dynamic work environments where you're asked to take on short project assignments and are expected to learn a lot about new subject matter in a short period of time. Then you move on to the next one. You don't necessarily want to be the expert, for you it is more about getting there than the outcome. And the last one, strategic. You sort through the clutter and find the best route. It's not a skill that can be taught. It's a distinct way of thinking, special perspective on the world at large. It allows you to see patterns when others see complexity. You think what if. Guided by where you see the path leading, you start to make selections. You discard paths that lead nowhere. Armed with your strategy, you strike forward. The interesting thing is that's my number one strength. So after the whole you don't have this and you don't have this and you don't have this, the really cool God thing where I think God was at work was when I was putting on the final preparations for the message last night. That's the last thing I read before I went to bed. I'm like, huh. And I've taken the test twice. That comes back the first strength both times. Now, I have a lot of other stuff that goes on in here. Not always good. But that's my first strength. You have a first strength too. Whatever it is, whatever domain it falls in, what if you choose to use it to follow the most strategic thinker of all time? Because he's calling you and he equips you. Take a look at this video, because I think this sums up what gets in our
1: Fear is going to be a player in your life. You get to decide how much. You can spend your whole life imagining ghosts, worrying about the pathway to the future, but all there will ever be is what's happening here. And the decisions we make in this moment, which are based in either love or fear. So many of us choose our path out of fear, disguised as practicality. What we really want seems impossibly out of reach and ridiculous to expect. So we never dare to ask the universe for it. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. And so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant. And when I was 12 years old, he was let go from that safe job. And our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father not the least of which, was that you can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. Because everything you gain in life will rot and fall apart, and all that will be left of you is what was in your heart. Look where I am. Look what I get to do. People present their best selves to me wherever I go. Who would I be if I said things that people didn't want to hear? Or if I defied their expectations of me? your need for acceptance can make you invisible in this world don't let anything stand in the way of the light that shines through this form risk being seen in all of your glory because life doesn't happen to you it happens for you as far as i can tell it's just about letting the universe know what you want and working toward it while letting go of how it comes to pass your job is not to figure out how it's going to happen for you But to open the door in your head and when the door opens in real life just walk through it and don't worry if you miss your cue because there's always doors opening they keep opening you will only ever have two choices love or fear choose love and don't ever let fear turn you against your playful heart
2: gracious god we know, as people in this room and people worshiping online, that it's a little more than just the universe that uh, is at work here. You are at work. You are God, you are powerful, you know all, and you are in each of us. And you give us an opportunity to look in each of other each other and see you. God, you give us an opportunity to open up our hearts and our minds so that we feel you. And God, you give us a choice to wake up each day and put our feet on the floor and inhale deeply and be so grateful that we have a chance to follow you. God, help us follow you. Help us find our strengths, our niche in this world. Empower us so we can go and be you. God, you're an amazing God who gave us a Messiah that was on the move. How wonderful it is that he started by saying, follow me, and then... He disappeared. He left it open-ended, and that open-ending is for us here today. Help us follow you. And we offer our prayers in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. So one of the things that Jesus came to do was not to start a new religion. That was not his point. He didn't have the idea for Christianity. He wanted people to fall in love with God. That's why we exist as a church to help all people fall in love and stay in love with God. So tomorrow morning when you wake up, I challenge you to take a deep, deep breath. Thank God for the morning. Thank God for the day. Ask God, where, God, are you calling me to use my strengths? Because God and Jesus strategically thought about a way to create a movement that offers us the opportunity to follow God. And God gives us all we need. May we go and hold on to all that. In the name of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Amen.